The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner. Good morning, and welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. I'm Kate Ebner, and I'm delighted to bring you a guest who I am learning so much from. Her name is Renee Myers, and she is the founder and president of the Renee Myers Company. Renee is an engaging expert facilitator. She's one of the most energetic and um, inspiring people I've met this year, and she's doing work that we all need to be thinking about. Her work is focused on unconscious bias and helping people, particularly in law firms, but I think more broadly, she's reaching a huge audience with her very helpful perspective on how we can recognize and shift our biases. Welcome to the show today, Brene. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm so pleased to be on the phone with you. Well, I'm glad that you're here. And, you know, I will tell you that I myself have been doing some work on transformational leadership in law firms, and your name seems to be everywhere as people are experiencing what you're doing. So I'm delighted that you were able to take the time to be on our, our Georgetown um, Transformational Leadership Show because I know that your work is really helping people see and, and behave differently. I want to start with um, just a little bit about you so that our listeners can learn, Renee, uh, how you came into this work. Could you just give me a bit of your background? Sure, sure. And it's so wonderful to be here with you, Kate, and I so much appreciate it. And I think that uh, people think that my work is helping. Um, I started this work about 18 years ago. I, I was what, you know, some people refer to as a recovering attorney. Um, so I practiced, but then shortly thereafter, I started to, I had to to lead an organization called the Boston Law Firm Group. It's now called the Boston Lawyers Group, I think. And that group was an assembly of large law firms in the Boston area who were concerned, uh, that were concerned about the fact that they were losing a lot of attorneys of color from the law schools there. Uh, they would just leave after graduating. And so they saw it as a real uh, brain drain from the Boston area. And they decided to come together as a consortium and try to uh, do something about attracting and keeping people of color uh, in the legal space in Boston. And I was the executive director of that organization once it had been in place for about five years. And it was that work that helped me to really understand the complex nature of uh, building diversity within an organization. Um, and what I discovered from that work, and it was quite unexpected, is that it wasn't enough 
to reach out and go, you know, from door to door and do all these amazing panels and these fabulous receptions and encouraging people to come in. It was important to do that. But what was most important was what the conditions were for those individuals when they arrived in these environments. And that is how I started getting very focused on inclusion and the conditions that are necessary for people of difference to come in and thrive in organizations that have been dominated for a long time by certain groups. And not that there are anything wrong with those groups, it's just that their environment and structure that they created works best for them, but once they shift to want to have more diversity, they actually have to be willing to change the way that they approach individuals, their process, their practices, and that's the hard work. Well, that is, the, that is a, a wonderful, um, clear way of describing this very important shift that comes with valuing diversity, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad that you talked about, um, you know, the, the the word inclusion, um, which, you know, comes up all, in many organizations, and one way I like to think about inclusion is, you know, asking the question, who feels like they belong here? Yes. Yes. Is that yes. a good question, do you think, for, for, for looking, sort of beginning the, the conversation? Absolutely. And what's so interesting about that question is when you present that to the leaders within an organization, they're often like, well, what what do you mean? I'm I'm sure everybody feels included here, right? But when we talk about inclusion and do they feel like you're, you know, that they belong there, it's sort of like the host has to ask him or herself, how good a host am I? Like, how good? for the people who are right? So I, um, a saying that I, is often quoted because I think it really helps people to make a distinction between diversity itself and inclusion. And I say diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. It's a very <laughs> different experience, right? Because what I'm seeing often in organizations, even in our society, Kate, is that there are people who are there. There are people who have been, you know, cleared. The legal barriers have been cleared. They're, they've been invited. You know, people are saying hello to them, but they are existing on the the, the outskirts of the organization or the society. They're on the wall, so to speak. Remember those old mixers you used to go to when we were young? Oh, yes. Some yep. people were in the middle of the floor and other people were just hoping that they might one day get a dance. And so often when you're asking people who are in leadership this question, it's a blind spot for them because if you are a fish in water, you don't notice the water. Um, you are feeling well in the organization. You are reflected. You are respected, and you are expected in that organization. And when we're looking at issues of inclusion and integration, we are really hearing people talk about either not being respected or they're not well reflected. And I don't mean just like their numbers aren't there. They're not on the pictures on the walls, mm-hmm. their language isn't being spoken. If you ask them what music is being played, it's a music that they don't have a temp, the temp is not heard. 
you know, and um, they also don't necessarily feel expected, right? So we have all these stories of people coming into their workplace on a Saturday coming into the front desk or reception and they're being questioned about whether they work there. And it's often because they're not expected that the ways in which people are conceiving of who should be there, and maybe it's not even who should be in the organization, but who should be in what role in that organization. Um, Are we expecting mothers to be able to pull this off or on this team where there's travel? Mm, I don't know. She has four children. Well, so does John, but we don't seem to, but we expect John to be there and to be able to, to fully uh, contribute. But all of a sudden there are these, and this is where we're talking about implicit unconscious biases that are causing people not to feel like this is their place, the place where they can thrive and bring their best. And so you know, those I was just are the about to ask there. you about yeah. that, Renee. I think that yeah. the that phrase unconscious bias is so helpful actually to my own thinking about um how to bring people into this conversation. And I would love it if you would just Give us a couple of minutes of, of perspective about um, about what you mean by unconscious. Yeah, bias. yeah. I mean, it is so so helpful. I want to talk about two things. One is that I think it's incredibly helpful, and it can also be its own barrier. So, the unconscious bias, and or sometimes people call it implicit bias, is really um, the information we're getting from social scientists and also. Uh, neuroscience that tells us a little bit about the way our brain deals with an enormous amount of stimuli or also the idea of schema, that the way in which the brain works and puts together and makes sense of the world is that it puts together images and ideas, and there are things that are that go together in the brain and things that don't go together so well in the brain. And so that what we're doing when we're facing an individual or situation is that our brain is very sorting very quickly and it has these automatic associations, these schemas. You know, this goes with this, this goes with that. And because we have lived over a period of time in a society that um, taught us a lot of stereotypes and ways to think about groups and people, when we come into an organization or into an interaction, our brain is sort of unconsciously separating people into our in-group or out-group or things that go together and things that don't go together. And when we see something that is, you know, that's an in-group, you know, like us, we like it often. And if it's not like us, we don't like it, or we bring a certain set of stereotypes to it. So there are two ideas. One is that we've got these sort of schema that go together, um, and then also we have this idea of in-groups and out-groups, and that is influencing who we see and who we don't see and who we miss and who we believe and trust in sort of right out the right off the bat, and those who we are more skeptical of or who we undervalue um, and rely strictly on stereotyping. Um, and And if those stereotypes are positive, fabulous. But if they're negative, it's not great for a work environment in particular. Well, thank you for for offering that that explanation. I know that we're going to be taking a break in a few minutes here, but um, you have recently recorded a TED Talk, um, How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Toward Them. Yes. And 
I know that that TED Talk has been uh, very, 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 very popular and, and uh, helpful talk. Uh, I highly recommend it to those of you listening who really want to see Renee in action and, and hear her message about how to overcome bias. In, in your TED Talk, you talk about three ways that someone can become an active participant in countering racial bias. And I know we won't be able to get into this before the break, but Renee, can you just Kind of give us the headlines, and we'll come back to it. Sure, sure. Well, one is very, very basic, which is to get out of denial, um, which is that we really are we are biased. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta own up to it. The second thing is to um, really try to um, expand um, your social circles and your professional circles to increase your contact. Really important, and I talk about how to do that. And then the third piece is to interrupt bias when we see it, even in those that we love. And so those are the three big steps that I'm asking people to take, and we can talk more about how you might do each of those things. Well, I think I think that would be a very good place for us to pick up after we do take a short break in a moment. And for those of you listening, I want to just reintroduce Renee Myers. She's the author of best-selling books, um, Moving Diversity Forward, How to Move from Being Well-Meaning to Well-Doing, and a new book, uh, What If I Say the Wrong Thing, 25 Habits for Culturally Affected People. And I think with that title, Renee, you kind of hit the nail on the head about my <laughs> old people back. Um, she's doing yeah. phenomenal work championing diversity and is a sought-after leader and speaker. And, and um, Renee, I know that when we come back after this break, uh, we're going to dive into these, you know, these moves that we can make to begin to really um, uncover and counter our own racial biases and our own biases probably more broadly as well. Um, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjoke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. Welcome back once again. This is Kate Ebner. My guest today is Renee Myers, and we are talking about um, this powerful work that she's doing, um, helping to really move diversity forward, which is actually the title of one of her books. Um, Renee has received many prestigious awards for her work in championing diversity. She's a graduate of Harvard Law School and Barnard College, Columbia University. Um, she was the first executive director of the Boston Law Firm Group and served as the deputy chief of staff for the Attorney General of Massachusetts. She has real on-the-ground experience in law firms. She's often bringing her work today to law firms, professional service firms, and other organizations that really appreciate the kind of positive but very practical um, message and perspective that she's bringing. So uh, once again, Renee, we've been having a great conversation, and I'd love to return to your TED Talk. Um, You gave us the headlines about what we can do. Let's, Let's unpack that a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, the, the TED Talk was really um, such a great opportunity for, for me to, to help think about what some of the nuggets are to uh, attacking this very, very human problem. So I think the first, first and foremost is that um, the reason why I ask people to get out of denial bias is that it's the thing that will cause us never to change because what the scientists tell us is that it's not our explicit views about uh, people or ideas, but it's actually our unconscious, implicit, automatic views that are most predictive of our behavior. So that was scary when I found that out because what they're basically saying is that you could believe one thing and act completely in uh, an opposite way to your own explicit belief. And so um, in the TED Talk, I, I actually... An example about uh, me being on a plane and hearing a woman's pilot voice come over the PA system and being initially really excited by explicit views uh, that there's a woman, you know, who's doing well, you know, a pilot. You know, the trip starts to get a little turbulent and bumpy, and I start thinking, I hope she can drive. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, that is a great example. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the thing, Kate, that was really funny is that I I didn't even realize that, that, that it was bias until I was coming back on the return leg, and it was a male pilot, and it's always a male pilot, and it's often turbulent and bumpy, and that's when I realized I've never questioned the competence of the pilot through the lens of gender. You know, like, I never say, oh. I hope that guy can drive. Oh. And so, yeah, that was very instructive in a way. <laughs> And so I'm really encouraging people to go looking for their biases um, instead of sort of shying away from the idea because it's only by recognition that you could decide to pull back from a bias. So I've been able to be much more successful in pulling back, which is to say, you know, if you're in an interview and you're interviewing someone who is from your same, the same school that you uh, went to, or maybe they are the same socioeconomic class, or more importantly, maybe they're not. And so you are starting to say to yourself, you know, you actually favor this kind of person. This is called in-group favoritism. Some of the, actually one of the most pernicious forms of implicit bias is because you don't notice that you are uh, giving this person more of the benefit of the doubt than maybe someone else. And so you're, you're constantly replicating yourself because mm-hmm. you think you're doing something that's about merit. But really what you're doing is confirming your own sense of how fabulous you are, right? So so that's an issue. But also often you're in an interview and you're missing things or you're misconstruing things or you're undervaluing individuals because they're not like you. So if you know that you may not have, and the way you can tell about bias is that you feel a little awkward sometimes, you start to make up things in your mind about the person without having any real information. And if you know that, then you can start to say to yourself, okay, in this situation especially, you must slow down. You must uh, reevaluate. You must um, align yourself, your questions with the criteria. You have to start looking specifically for the attributes that have to do with the job. Stop looking for your gut because often our gut is contaminated already with our biases, you know? So yeah, you know, that's the kind I just of want to jump in right there and say how, how important this, um, this idea of in-group favoritism is and and you know you're talking about it sort of in the context of a hiring process or interview process, possibly you know I I recall Renee years ago when I was doing a lot of hiring for a firm, I I used to call it the blueprint theory and I used to say to my <laughs> recruiting team, you're, we're all unconsciously looking for a blueprint of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you know notice that you're notice that you're going to most likely favor candidates who remind you of you and. Mm-hmm catch that, you know, and, and challenge yourself to, to expand your, your, um, your awareness around how Perfect. you are connecting and what you're accepting, what you're even asking. And, and it was a really interesting exercise to do because I think it, um, it helped us do a much better job of hiring. And it, and it also helped me understand when a really great candidate who might be um, different in some way from the typical candidate was we were getting a lot of you know sort of negative feedback. We could usually, as a recruiting team, actually turn that around 
and mm-hmm. find a find a way to, to to make the process more fair, whether it was another interview or or even debunking our own way of looking yes. at it. So it was really interesting to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kate, and we, we get a lot of companies that say, well, we just can't find anyone else. We just can't find the right people. And they don't realize that they're already, they're standing in their own way often of finding difference because they're looking for sameness. Um, and it's very eye-opening when, and, 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 and actually then what you need is, a, like you said, you need a process. You need people keeping each other honest. You need to get very specific about crisis. Criteria, and you have to look at how closely that criteria is uh, related to true success versus preference, because we've got a lot of what we call criteria, which are really just organizational preferences, you know, ways in which we think um, these attributes show up, right? So sometimes you have to go all the way back to looking at the criteria and not confusing it with standards, because standards are really, really important, but then how we determine whether someone is meeting a standard is sometimes culturally influenced. So it's a lot of work, but once you recognize it, you're willing to do that work because it, you're, you know, your general beliefs um, are not going to be um, are not going to be realized, and the mission won't be realized unless you're willing to do that work. So to go back to, you know, the three ways you were talking about yeah. earlier, you know, let's let's talk more about, about that. You've done a great job, I think, of yeah. highlighting this issue of unconscious bias. It's really something that, you know, the, the science is showing us is kind of built right into how we approach things. So as you said, it's kind of scary when you realize that, and it requires a, a conscious um, commitment, you know, to work. Yes. So yes. The, the the that second step is it, it's really about um, getting outside your comfort zone, and you know I'm particularly we're talking I was talking and the the talk about the issue of police brutality and um, sort of the ways in which men of color are being regarded, and so I really encourage people in the audience to think about how many men of color they know and how many people are in their circle. And this could, we, I, I was talking obviously about men of color, but it could go to women, it could go to, you know, people of different religions, different sexual orientations, but if you really are hoping to be dealing fairly and openly with people of different they have to be, you have to connect with them. And, you know, I often say that this is a a contact sport. I mean, you have to actually build relationships of difference if you're really going to be able to embrace individuals in a way that shows respect and um, and understanding. So sometimes it's simple, like you're just doing a simple inventory, like who is in my social circle and what can people tell from, you know, who I hang out with at work about what my comfort level is around certain differences or who do I have invited into my home or who are my friends? Who do I have tea with? Um, are there ways that I can expand my circle so that I'm expanding my relationships so that I have much more authentic 
and real ways of understanding who people are in groups that are different than mine. Because we have a very complex story usually about our own group, but we have much fewer um, pieces of information often about other groups. So we sort of store our thoughts about them in these clumps that are uninvestigated and don't have a lot of good data about them and obviously ultimately become stereotypes. And stereotypes have judgments to them. Um, and so I think that one of the most important things for us to do is to get outside of our comfort zone and widen our circles. And it's not easy to do, but it is completely rewarding. You know, that's a that's a wonderful invitation um, direction, I think, to, to be giving people. And often we can widen our circles. Um, when we when we look even beyond the workplace, you know, we look at the school community, mm-hmm. perhaps, or we look at the local community, our neighborhoods. We look at, um, you know, organizations and groups that we volunteer in or get involved with. You know, yes. and and I think that um, so often in busy lives, people are moving in and out of those things without necessarily slowing down to use one of your earlier ideas to connect. And actually, mm-hmm. build relationships, and so I, I really like this um, second step, and I and I can see how just having those relationships begins to inform in quite a different in different way. Yeah. way. yeah. I mean, when we talk about transformational leadership, really, I mean, this is it's the, these kinds of relationships that are transformational. I mean, because. You never know. Most of us have been taught to be nice to people, but that's very different than valuing people in the sense that you think something about knowing that person and giving that person attention is going to actually change and better your life. That's a completely different level on which to engage with individuals. And a lot of times our biases suggest that certain people aren't as valuable. You know, um, the Western. Um, uh, hotel, which I love. Um, they have this great thing that they do with the people who work there. They all wear a badge, and on their badge is their name, but also under their name, it says passion, and then colon, and then a few words about what their passion is. I have found this to be the most amazing thing because I go through so many so many hotels as a consultant and I try my best to be nice and courteous but that's very different than Ooh, really? You're an artist? You love jazz? You And all of a sudden, you get into these conversations with the individuals who are taking your bags or bringing your, you know, your car to, to you that you would have missed. And it is so powerful and enriching. And I mean, and maybe it's just for that small point of time, but maybe it actually could grow into something bigger. But it certainly opens your eyes and you start to recognize the kinds of biases that you didn't even know you you were sort of trafficking in with regard to certain individuals, like, oh, they don't mm-hmm. this or they don't know this or they're not, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're trying to break through. That's, that's excellent. Well, let's go to the third way. I know we'll soon be taking yeah. a break, but let's, let's yeah. talk about the third way. Well, the third way a lot of people have been contacting us about, um, which is this idea of interrupting bias when you see it. 
And I specifically spoke about the area where I think you can do it without as much scare, although it can be quite difficult, and that is interrupting the bias that you see in your loved ones. And, you know, I spoke specifically from my own experience where, you know, you're around a table with your family and you love these people, but they start saying things and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, like, Uncle Joe's a bigot. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh. And a lot of times we just let it go. But one of the things that I'm concerned about is that when people say, when is it going to get better and why do these things keep happening generation after generation, it's often because we're not interrupting. And the people who are at our family tables, many of them are children, and the children will hear these things. And if they are not interrupted in some way, they may just not notice that they're imbibing these biases, and then they will get stored, and then they will be part of how they see the world as well. And so I really um, insisted that people, if you really care, that you begin at home just at least being able, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, you're a terrible person. It just has to be something like, well, my experience with you know, whatever group is quite different or something as innocent as why do you say that or something Mm -hmm. that goes like, well, I don't think we use that term anymore. Anything that will interrupt the bias. And I, we actually, my company does a whole thing series on that. So I can tell you about more specifics if you'd like. I love to hear that language actually, Brene. We're going to take a break right now. And I, I love to talk about this, what to say to interrupt that biased um, okay. aspect when we come back. You're listening to Renee Myers, and she is the founder and president of the Renee Myers Company. I'm Kate Ebner. We'll be right back. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth, And in general, people don't want to discuss their money. Until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Calagiri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Founded in 2012, The Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. 
What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner. I'm glad you're listening today. I'm talking with Renee Myers, and we were having a conversation that... um, Boy, it's giving such great food for thought. And, you know, Renee, one of the things I love about talking with you is you're taking these topics that are often viewed as so delicate and complicated, and you're making it just, you know, accessible. And, and I think something that um, we can, we, every one of us can, can take an action to actually um, connect and help create a much more inclusive and diverse um, workplace and also broader environment. And I, I wanted to um, pick up where we left off, which was you were, you giving us some examples of things we can say to interrupt bias when we hear it. And I think what was so helpful from my perspective is that um, I noticed that people are often looking for the language. You know, it's sort of like I want mm-hmm. to do the right thing, but I'm, it feels big and hard. So I, I appreciate that you give us some really good examples. You know, recently you wrote a book called What If I Say the Wrong Thing? <laughs> and I want to start there and ask you, you know, say more about that, that body of work and, and, and uh, give, us, give us some help with our language. Oh, absolutely. I, it's so funny. My first book was, like, much longer and denser and had, like, all explanations. And then my second book, I was like, you know, people need to be able to read this on a plane. So <laughs> I created this book called What If I Say the Wrong Thing, 25 Habits um, for Culturally Effective People because I am often in the workplace and people are saying, I want to do this. I want to be more helpful in diversity, but what if I say the wrong thing? Like, one man said to me, you know, I'm working with this woman and she's pregnant and I haven't said anything. And I said, well, what do you mean she's pregnant? Said, she's pregnant. I'm like, how pregnant? Because she's really pregnant. And I said, and you haven't said anything. He goes, no, what if I say the wrong thing? And I'm like, I, uh. I think you kind of already have, um, <laughs> right? Because, you know, what message are you sending that you can't talk about something as simple as, or as brilliant as, or as amazing as someone giving birth to another human being? And so, obviously, this person must be worried that you are worried um, about something like this. And so I feel people are so paralyzed, Kate, um, because, I mean, and, and they have it. Um, um, you know, we started doing all the law and we did the sexual harassment thing and now everybody is like, okay, I'm not talking to anybody, you know, and so I'm really encouraging people to say that they can learn what to say. Um, and, but it does, but it's learning, right? So there are new habits that we have to practice in order to get some comfort about how to be the kinds of people we want to be in supporting difference. And one of the things that 
um, is a problem is that we have really well-meaning people who uh, we call naive offenders, and they are saying offensive things, but no one is correcting them. And often what's happening, and sometimes they're small things, we call those micro-inequities or microaggressions, they're small things, but they're having this cumulative effect on the individuals within an organization such that they ultimately get very tired, very frustrated, and they often leave or they don't do as well. And so my work is to give people the the concrete kinds of skills and habits and tips that they can put into place and that gives them some confidence of interacting because that's how you build those relationships that we were talking about across difference and widening your circles. And so on this interrupting bias piece, the first thing to know is that you're not trying to change people. I think that individuals say to me all the time, well, you know, he's never going to change. She's never going to, he's too, and I'm like, you know what, first of all, none of us know who's going to change. So you don't need to spend time figuring that out, but you do need to just check the bias. So it's not like you're trying to do a whole lesson on bias. You're just trying to not allow it to go without being interrupted, right? So one thing you can do when you hear a comment or someone says a comment to you, because this is both about being a bystander as well as a receiver sometimes of this offensive language, is one, you've got to get You've got to think about it from the point of view of non-judgment, which sometimes is very hard to do, which is that I believe that somewhere I'm probably making a similar mistake. It's just with a different group of people. So I'm asking myself, what's the tone of voice? What's the attitude that I would like someone to use to correct me? when I make mistakes in this way. So you try to adopt Mm -hmm. that tone and that approach. Um, And sometimes you can do it and sometimes you can't, but I want to tell you that you can come back to it. So that's the other thing. Sometimes the the moment will go so quickly or you will be in such shock that you can't get the words out, but you can come back to a person the next day or a little bit later and say, you know, can we talk about something that happened yesterday? You know, you said this and I'm sure you didn't um, mean to, but the impact that it had on me was, right? So one idea is to talk about the difference between intent and impact. People feel accused, they often go into defense, but if you say to a person, look, I'm assuming this is not what you meant. You didn't intend this, but I need to share with you what the impact was on me. Breaking that up helps the conversation. And you can do that. I in like the that. I, I like that. And I want to, I want to really support what you've just said with the work that we do in our transformational leadership course at Georgetown University, really, um, really actually teaching that exact conversation you know, the intent and the impact, you know, really mm-hmm. really having having conversations of any kind that are difficult with that clarity about, um, you know, the, the, the person, the, the, the empathetic um, engagement with a person, even as you talk really honestly and directly about the impact that that had on me. And, and, and we just did, Renee, a practice with a with an organization in this dialogue, and people in the room said, this is so touchy-feely. I don't think I can talk like this. I don't think I can use this language. And then suddenly, spontaneously, two two men in very senior roles decided to practice in front of the group. And once they 
started to do it, the conversation was incredibly effective. And they actually Mm -hmm. came together in a way that, you know, they felt they'd had the conversation the week before, so they wanted to try again. They felt like the conversation they had using this, um, you know, the, uh, you know, my sense is that your intent was, but the impact it had on me was formulation actually um, deepened the relationship and caused a, a real connection and understanding around how to go forward in a different way. It was very positive, and they were surprised. <laughs> so I just oh, I believe want to that. highlight this to how effective this is. Yeah, it's so exciting because what really you're like you're really saying we're a community, and as a community, we're going to help each other. Um, and in this area in particular, we need to help each other because there are just, as one, it's, a lot of this is unconscious, right? And so you're not going to notice it also by yourself. And two, we have this whole horrible history around so many of these issues. And so everyone's so shy about it, you know, and, but the shyness is a problem because then you never get good at it, right? So that's the, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, that we have all this difference around us, but we're not using the difference. And so I'm really suggesting to people that when they hear something, they can start offering a different opinion. They can just share a different opinion. You know, when someone says, well, I don't know if we can really work with those people because blah, blah, blah. You can say, well, actually, (laughs) I have or someone I know is or whatever, and then you can begin to share a different experience. And sometimes that is a newsflash to the other individual. Really? There's a different way to think about this? There are different interactions that people have had because we often believe that our experience is the only experience. Like, our worldview is the world. We don't understand that it's a particular view of the world. And so when someone says, oh, actually, I lived in that neighborhood, and what I experienced was, so you can offer a different opinion. The other really important tool is to just ask a question, because sometimes we're wrong about what we think people are saying. And also, sometimes about asking the question gives that individual a chance to notice what they just said. So when someone says, well, I just believe blah, 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 you say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Uh, and they say, uh, oh, yeah, that doesn't, that came out wrong, right? Or they say, well, I mean, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes when they, um, you know, explain further, you go, oh, sorry, good. I, I was hoping you weren't saying blah, blah, blah. But, and sometimes it gives them a chance to correct. Sometimes they dig in their, uh, a deeper ditch with the explanation. But the, the point is, is that you're not allowing that statement to go by, that behavior to go by. Uh, groups, you know, groups, a lot of times we're afraid because there's a group conversation going on, right? And there's a sort of group thing going on. And yeah, you're if right, you you're can right. say mm-hmm. something like, you know, I notice that whenever we get to this, we use this language or we say this. And I'm wondering what that's about. That is enough to cause a pause. It is enough to cause a pause. I think that's really great. And I would just put, highlight your use of the word we. When we get mm-hmm. to this, we, you know, versus, versus pointing the finger and saying yeah. you. 
And I think the other thing I want to highlight for those listening is that um, your question, what did you mean by that, is a great, it's a great coaching question, Brene. And what it also is, is it's a way of opening up the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. When we ask questions that start yes. with the word why, we often put people automatically on the defense. So if you were to say, why did you say that? That would actually probably create a very different reaction. Mm-hmm. Than, what did you mean by that? Oh, so but smart. Yeah. I just want to offer that. Oh my God, that is such a great, that's a, such a great point because ultimately, actually, one of the goals of interrupting bias is to keep the conversation going. Because if you can keep the conversation going, there are all sorts of opportunities for understanding and awareness. Uh, if you shut people down, then people go into their, you know, their, their safe space, and, which is often they just close down their awareness and their willingness to learn more. So I love, I love that idea um, about keeping the conversation going. And then yeah. one other thing that you mentioned, which is not using the word you and, and going accusatory and going pointing, is that one other way to interrupt bias, if you can make it happen, if you can get into your I statement, and you can speak about um, yourself. It can have an incredible impact on the person who has created the offense. If you can find a pure way to talk about how you feel um, without accusing, I feel really um, worried when I hear that word. I just feel worried. Mm-hmm. That's a very different thing than I can't believe you used that word. Right, right, right. And that that um the courage actually that it takes to express how you feel. I feel mm-hmm. worried, I feel anxious, I I um I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused. I I you know, I'm not sure how to how to participate even though I agree with you and you you know, whatever whatever right. that I statement is um, it helps it, it, for the person you're saying it to. That makes you much more understandable than if you're trying to speak broadly about do's and don'ts, you know, shoulds mm-hmm. and shouldn'ts, you know. And I think it brings it down to the human level, you know. And, and I, I know that you know. I, I feel, Renee, as we're talking, that we could really, I could really talk to you for hours about this and <laughs> learn all the while. But I, I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you a question that. Um, that that I'd love to just hear you reflect on, and that is, you know, you referred to the word transformation earlier, and, you know, at Georgetown and our Institute for Transformational Leadership, we're really looking at the, the modern world and what it takes to be a leader in the modern world, and one of the strong principles that we're holding is that um, leaders today need to be able to and must embrace um, valuing diversity and acting inclusion and learning how to be someone who can convene um, people from mm-hmm. all aspects of life. And and so this is our principle. And I would just love to hear your thoughts about um, connecting the work that you're doing with unconscious bias and the transformational effect a leader can have. You know, could you just say a little bit about transformation? Oh my gosh. I, I first of all love, love 
the principle. I love what you all are doing. I think it's so important and so necessary. So much of leadership and the way that we've been taught to be leaders on the over the past is all about being the one only by yourself. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of isolation. There is just so much um, that it makes people not even want to be leaders, right? <laughs> Um, and or it has people adopt a certain approach in order to, to 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 protect themselves in the role of leader. When we are talking about being transformational as a leader, it mess it has to mean that you have the courage to open yourself to others and to also see yourself as connected to everyone else, not separate. And in order, I think, to feel the connectivity and the oneness, you have to see that everyone is valuable and everyone has something to offer. And for me, diversity, inclusion, overcoming our unconscious biases are all about the recognition that that we're interrelated, and that as we are, um, as if any group of us is feeling excluded or undervalued or are not able to bring their best to the organization or the team or whatever, we all suffer ultimately. So seeing that bigger picture is what I think transformative leaders do they see the interconnectivity of each of us and they know that um just like as on a team you know if 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 everyone is thriving the team itself thrives if people if one individual or group of people are not thriving that is going to have eventually a negative impact on all of us and i think that is true in our in our jobs in our systems in our workplaces also in our communities in our larger society Thank you for that, that that thoughtful answer and, and for really um, helping us make the, that connection and really um, um, build our own vocabulary, actually, about how to talk about the transformative effect of um, seeing people. You know, it's, it's that, that oneness that you mm-hmm. mentioned versus, you know, versus the idea of division and, and disconnect. Um, and I, I, I really appreciate that answer, Brene. You know, for those of you who are listening, you may be thinking, huh, how can I talk more, learn more from Brene? And I want to, once again, point to the books that she's written, the first one called Moving Diversity Forward, How to Move from Well-Being to Well-Doing. And the second one that's just coming out, What If I Say the Wrong Thing, 25 Habits for Culturally Affected People. I also want to tell you that Brene's name, which is uh, such a beautiful name, Brene, it's spelled V as in voice, E R. N-A, Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. And you can Google her, you can find her TED Talk. And um, I know that, that that's a wonderful way to, to uh, share Verne with other people. Um, you certainly can go to her website, which is um, which is ReneeMyersConsulting.com. Um, yeah. And, as we come and I'm this, also tweeting, Kate. So I'm at Verne Myers um, for my Twitter account, and, and that might be another way to follow me as well. Beautiful. I would love, I, uh, I think, I'm hoping a lot of us will be following you coming out of this show. Um, we only have seconds left, but there's another question I've been dying to ask you, which is you know, you don't, you didn't have to move in this direction with your professional life. You know, why is this your work, Verne? 
And so, (laughs) I feel very specially blessed uh, in the sense that I seem to have grown up in the right time where the country was very focused on civil rights, and I was the beneficiary of all that work. And so, my life is really about helping to find a voice for those of us who have been marginalized because I was given the gift of having uh, an education and an opportunity, and I, I really want to give back so that I get a lot of joy from seeing people being brought forth in their fullest. Thank you once again for being a guest on the show. I really have enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I have enjoyed it well a lot too, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Uh, We are a radio show produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. Um, I hope that you will seek out everything Brene Myers is thinking and doing for your organization and for your own life. I know this is certainly the direction that we're moving. So have a great day, and we'll be back. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 